I'm Ian Wright, and from something else, this is Everyday People. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Mel Tate, a warrior of a woman come to terms with the death of her son, Jordan. Jordan Sinnott was a footballer who had everything to live for. But just two weeks shy of his 26th birthday, his life was brutally cut short when he was attacked by a group of men while on a night out. Mum Mel, a detective in the police, was faced with the unthinkable, her own son, a victim of a violent crime. She tells me about the moment she was forced to confront her worst fears as a parent and the incredible decision that she made from his bedside that would transform the lives of seven desperately ill people. This is the story of Jordan Sinnott's selfless final act. A warning though, this episode contains descriptions of violence you may find upsetting. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 26 years ago, mm. you're getting ready to have... You have Jordan. What, what was it? What was it like in and around that time? Did you plan? Was you? Did you plan to have another child at that stage? No, I didn't actually. When I had Tom, Tom's the eldest. There was three and three quarter years between them, and we had Tom, and I was just over the moon. I'd got a boy. For any particular reason? Yeah, I, I loved sport. I loved football. I used to watch Bradford City when mm. I was, you know, and go with my dad, mm. and just. <laughs> I didn't do dolls. I didn't do, you know, I just wanted to be out there, you know, and, and have lads with right. seeing playing football and sport. And um, so when we had Jordan, it was three and a half week early. It came on Valentine's Day. Oh. So, you know, that just, <laughs> that, that, that just sums Jordan up. I knew he was going to be early because it, John just wanted to get out. He was just never nonstop. He was just... Jordan. Yeah. Jordan. Yeah. I called Is that him what you called him, Jordan? Yeah. It's stuck in my head. When you say, and that summed him up, coming on Valentine's Day, why does it sum him up? Jordan was just, he would come in a room, mm. even from an early child, and he would just light up a room. He just had the biggest smile. Jordan would go to people's houses. Jordan would walk into his friend's house, and the first thing he'd do is open the fridge. <laughs> He just wouldn't even acknowledge anybody. He would just go in, open the fridge, and just... If our friends had parties in the house, that's where he was most happiest. He liked the beat, did Jordan. I mean, there's, there's a video of him singing Hopelessly Devoted to You. Yeah, so hang on, it looks like he's going into it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so he's singing to Kelly. 
<laughs> I'm just happy he's, he's just in tune there. That's the kind of thing I would do. That's how, that's how, I, that's how I think I finally got my missus. I just killed her with like Teddy Pendergrass and, and, and Barry White and Luther Vandross to the <laughs> point where that, she, she, she surrendered. So when did football start for him? So football started for him because... Um, Obviously, his dad was into football. Yeah. His dad was a footballer. Lee, and right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. play against him, yeah. Yeah. So the, both both the lads grew up around football. Absolutely loved it. Mm. Um, and Jordan, I can remember when he was 18 months old, he's, he's got this tiny little ball and and he's, he's just drop kicking. Right. Just naturally. Yeah. And, you, you know, at first I thought, no, it's... That's it, weird. Yeah. So we'd spin it, you know, and it'd watch the ball and, mm. and, and... Natural timing. Just natural timing. Both of my boys played professional football. You know, you watch them, like you mentioned, like they look pretty good in what they're doing, but you try to say, well, I'm being a bit maybe biased towards my own children. But mm. there was a time where I said to myself, I think they've got a chance. So how old was he when you thought to yourself, you know something... I think he's got a chance. And when did he realise, I think I want to be a footballer? I would say from a really young age, he was just driven to in football. Mm. That's all he ever wanted to do. That's all he ever spoke about. And there used to be times when, you know, if he didn't do his homework, he would say, right, that's it, you can't play on Sunday. <gasps> and he was, honestly, he only did it a couple of times because he knew it would be stopped. It's funny, you they, know, used from to, going they, used to, they used to punish me with that yeah. at school. If I don't behave myself, I can't play. And he was devastated. He just wanted to go in and play football. Jordan's talents were soon spotted at Uddersfield Town, a football league club. He signed him as an apprentice. He made an impression on the youth circuit and before long, coach Mark Lillis was calling him to step up to the first team. We decided to uh, give Jordan his debut and it was a big night for him. For me, it was important that I got him in the office and sat him down and said, look, this is on the Monday. You're going to be playing tomorrow. You're going to be making your debut tomorrow. So he had 24 hours to take that in. I said, don't uh, worry, sleep well and uh, you'll be fine. Uh, he made man in a match and it was against a, a good Leicester City team. His passing on the night was fantastic. For him to get Man of the Match award is really important for any footballer, but for a young player to come and handle that game, we knew then he had, he had something special inside him. What was it like, obviously, watching him play and, you know, the, did the whole family go? Did you all go together? So? Yeah, we, we all went. I mean, God, I'm really vocal anyway, you know. <laughs> You know, it's like, and if somebody takes your lad down, it's yeah, you've got to yeah. hold yourself back as, yeah. as well. Because I'm, yeah. I'm a police officer, so I can't be running on a pitch. Can I do it? <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, but you seem to kick every ball. Yeah. You, you know, you're you're really tight watching the game, and but you just, I was just so proud mm. watching him. Jonah was made man of the match on his professional debut and was starting to soar. But just as he was beginning to hit his stride suffered a knockback. I remember getting the telephone call and he was he was in the reserves mm -hmm. and he was he was doing so so well. And he'd literally gone for the ball but his studs had gone in into, into the, the into the ground. I know that one. And he turned and I remember 
um, a few of the guys saying they all looked away because they actually thought the bone had come out oh from his leg. God. That's how bad it was. Right. He was in a brace, and he, he just said to said to me, "They think it's the crucial ligaments," and he said, "That's me finish, mum." And um, in respect to the disappointment of it, yeah. How did he deal? Because like I was fortunate, I didn't get that kind of injury, mm. an injury that kept me out that long. Yeah. Apart from I broke my leg, but we knew it was broken. But that yeah. one's a very mentally, yeah. you have to be mentally strong. How did he deal with that side of it? Did he remain positive through that? He did, but he it was always at the back that, he, you know, it was really bad. Well, did he feel like it was over? He did, wow. yeah. He did feel it was over. And I think as a mum as well, at, at the time, you just absolutely gutted, you know, you... I mean, all you want is the best for your child. You just want them to be healthy. Mm. And I was just remaining upbeat for him all the time and, and saying, look, you've got this. The club are going to look after you. You know, you've physio. Right. But I think because he was at a time in his career, he was he was shining. You know, he'd got that confidence. He'd got that fitness. And, you know, when you go out and you don't play games for a couple of weeks, your fitness... Drops off. You know, really does drop, yeah. yeah. And he... He was really at his peak then. And I don't think he actually thought he was going to come back from that. But, but he did. Absolutely. Yeah, he did. Jordan came back from injury, but his dream of making it in top flight football was harder to realise. We would talk a lot about his football and where he wanted to be. But even though it was the be end of all for him, mm. it wasn't. You know, he had other things in his life. Family was great important to him as well. You know, just recently he'd, he'd bought his house, mm. him and Kelly. Mm. And How long have they been together by then? So they've been together three years. Okay. And um, he bought this bought this house. And I remember saying, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's, <laughs> it's Retford, you know, a little mm -hmm. market town. But he just loved it. He, he, that, was, that was what he wanted to do. You know, he wanted the house. He wanted the family. January 2020 began with exciting news that Jordan was bursting at the seams to share. And he'd rung me on the Friday and he was really excited. He'd got that. You know, he just said to me, I'm due to sign for another football club next week, next Wednesday. Um, it, it was Boston. Mm. Um, he, he knew a few of the lads there and he, he just, that voice, that made upbeat, up. he was absolutely made up. And he was coming to see me and Ian and my mum. And I said, do you fancy going to the club, the local working men's club? Game of bingo, right. good turn on. And he was, yeah, can't wait. You know, I'm really, really looking forward to that. And um, then Friday night, he, he said he was going out. And then comes the almighty knock on the door at three o'clock in the morning. It was like a police knock. Yes. If anybody's had that sort of knock. Yeah. <laughs> and mm. I remember running to the window and seeing my sister and her son, my nephew. And I said to Ian, my husband, it's my mum. It's, it's wow. my mum. So I'd taken myself to that point and, you know, I'm, I'm thought to myself, right, it's my mum. You know, let's go down there, open the door. Sonia walked in. 
I don't want you to panic, um, but Jordan has been assaulted and is in an induced coma. And I'm trying to think, I'm still thinking about my mum. Mm. And all I could think about was, why would anybody do that to Jordan? Jordan had been admitted to a hospital in Sheffield, more than an hour away. About 40 minutes into the journey, I got a phone call and it was from the doctor saying, can I ask how long are you going to be? And I says, well, I think I know what you mean by that. I would say, if I'm, I'm, I'm honest at this stage, I went into, like, police mode. So you kind of switched off? I switched, yeah. And sometimes I feel guilty for going in that mode. But I think it, it just it's got me through it. Absolutely had to do with it. And I remember running in and just seeing Jordan and seeing... Thank you. Just seeing the state of him, really. You know... And I just thought, I've never, ever seen Jordan with a scratch on him. As a parent, you get to a stage where you just get to that <laughs> comfortable stage. Because my lads yeah. never yeah. were in fights. In no trouble. No, no trouble. Nothing. So I just couldn't get my head round. And then when it, when it all came out, what had happened, it was just even more ludicrous. So Jordan had gone um, into the pub, and it's it's quite a close knit pub. It's where everybody goes, sort of for last orders, and it's the only place where, you know, if twelve o'clock he can still have a drink. And they were getting ready to leave. Was Jordan, and as they're coming out, Jordan was faced with a guy in front of him. The guy he was laughing with Jordan and jokingly said to him. I bet you don't have trouble pulling the birds, do you? He says, look at me, I'm, I'm fat and ginger. And George sort of just went, oh, you're not wrong there, mate, are you? You know, just uh, but laugh, you know, laughing. And then the next thing is, is punch Jordan twice. You know, to the head. So George stumbled and just thought, wow, you know, and just got himself out of there and into the tiny market square where his attackers caught up with him again. So when they came in the street, they're walking on and he's, the guy has brought two of his friends and he's pointing. And Jordan turned around and he's got his arms out in front of him. And he's saying, look, mate, I, I don't want any asshole. We just want to go home. Oh. And one of Jordan's friends said it looked like he just wanted to apologise to Jordan. So he's, he's had his hands out. So as soon as he's walked to Jordan, he's hit him again, the same guy, twice to the head. And this is a haymaker. The blows had fractured Jordan's skull. When Mel arrived at his bedside, he was unrecognisable. Back to the hospital, what decisions were you faced with when you got there? I, I knew. I knew as soon as I'd, I'd got there. The first question I said to the doctor, I said, look, don't put your foot around me. Have you ever had anybody in this situation that has lived through it? And he said, no. 
And I think I said to him, and I wasn't being funny, don't piss about with me. You know, I'm a police officer. I can take this. And I don't know why I said that. You know, I just wanted to get some answers mm. quick so I could deal with things. Right. And, be, and I, I thought things would go 100 mile an hour, but they didn't. Mel would soon have to take Jordan off life support. As she considered how to honour her son's memory, she remembered a conversation they'd had about organ donation. Jordan was a registered donor. It signed three times. Every time he moved house, um, he would sign up straight away and we talked about it. And the first thing I, I said was when, when I knew this was happening and the police was in the room and the doctors was in the room and I said, can Jordan be an organ donor? Can he donate his organs? Despite the traumatic injuries to his head, Mel was hopeful that Jordan could be considered for organ donation. We were fortunate how, in the way Jordan died, I have seen it where people have been stabbed, lost their life straight away, and as soon as that happens, nobody can go near that person. And it is harrowing for the families because that person becomes an exhibit. Everything on that person is going to direct you to solve right. the crime. And I said, look, I know you're going to need Jordan, but everything in Jordan is in his head. All the evidence is in his head. He's not got a mark on him. He's got no defensive wounds on his hands. He's, he was perfect. I pushed for him to go to the coroner. It was the coroner's decision. It's not the police's decision or or the hospital staff, it's the coroner. And she came back and said, yes, we can do that. That gave me relief. How come? Because I knew you weren't going to go to waste. John was just too good to go to waste, you know, and... He had this beating heart, this heart that was just amazing. And I just knew that I tried to put myself in the donor's side and I thought I'd love to be a fly in the wall, you know, and just see that phone call. And I remember thinking, oh God, I wish I were there. You know, the phone call comes. How would I feel, you know, if that was my son and he needed a heart? Soon after, Jordan was wheeled into the theatre for the last time. I mean, they do the most amazing thing when somebody is giving so much of them and they come out and all the nurses and the doctors come and line up, you know, and, and you know, do this, like, guard of honour. And all the staff came up to see us you know, the operating staff, you know, and just said to us, he's just amazing for what he's doing. They never said to us, I think you're amazing. They made it about Jordan. He's amazing what he's doing. You know, it was all about him. 
I won't lie, it was hard saying goodbye to him. That was literally yeah. it, wasn't it? You know? Yeah. And it's hard when somebody's when somebody's warm, you know, and they just look like they're asleep. But I was just incredibly proud of him. You know what he did? And he gave life to so many. Back in a moment. After Jordan's death, his family and friends asked football clubs to donate shirts in his memory. Within 24 hours, they had shirts back from every team in the English Premier League. The biggest names in football backed the appeal. Steven Gerrard, Gareth Southgate, Wayne Rooney. Shirts poured in from around the world. We had this shirt campaign and that was just the tonic. It just kept us going. It honestly just, I don't know what it was, it, it, it just brought us all together again. I'd got friends who'd gone over to Thailand and taken a picture of a guy on the beach with a, with a 25 wow. on the back and he's, he's going, look at this, and we're in Thailand. You know, it was Australia, it was, it was absolutely crazy. The family were inundated with shirts 800 of them came from all over the world. They were going on display at Bradford City, where family and friends were due to gather for Jordan's funeral. The night before the big day, Mel took an emotional trip to the club's ground. People were working morning, noon and night, painstakingly threading these shirts. They'd used a kilometre of fine wire to put all these shirts up. You know, it was vast. And me and Tom walked in and we just stood there and we looked up and it was like a sea of shirts. Tom grabbed hold of my hand and he just said, oh my God, look at this. And I just kept thinking, oh God, Jordan, I hope you're watching this because this is one hell of a show for you. And he would have been, I think he would have been, well, he would have just said, mum, this is mint. Mm. You know, he used to say that and... I just know he would have been just overwhelmed with it. In his final act, Jordan gave seven desperately ill people the gift of life. A man who received a life-saving liver transplant became a father shortly after his op. He wrote to Mel, thanking her for the chance to see his son grow up. And there was even more good news on the way. And we got us miracle, didn't we? What's the miracle? Um, if I can go back to when I was sat next to Jordan and his, his last moments, and I asked for three things. And I said, Dad, I want you to come and get him. Don't let him go up there on his own. And I said, I want time to stop. And I said to his nurse, he'd have been a brilliant dad. That's all he ever wanted was to be a dad. And I said, that's my wishes. And the world did stop, you know. It did stop for a while. And he became a dad. Hello. September the 27th to a little girl, Maisie. 
Daisy. Hello. You're smiling. Not bothered. That is a miracle. Unbelievable. Yeah, and she's the double of him. She's absolutely, you know, beautiful. <laughs> Good luck, Tom. <laughs> yeah. I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking about it, Mel. I'm very much now jumping onto the, the Jordan Sinnott foundation campaign whatever you're doing i'm oh, there thank you and um i can only thank you very very much for coming on and thank you very much for having me here next time on everyday people recipes for healing with the women behind grenfell's community kitchen i want people to be happy i want to get people together because it's the only way you understand each other, you help each other, you support each other. So I prayed before going to bed, I said, please, God, show me the sign. If you like what you've heard so far and think you've got an amazing story to tell, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at everydaypeople at somethingelse.com. That's everydaypeople at somethingelse.com, without the G. Everyday People is a Something Else production hosted by me, Ian Wright. Produced by Jade Scott. Our assistant producer is Grace Laker. Our executive producers are Ollie Wilson and Chris Skinner. The sound and mix engineer is Josh Gibbs. With thanks to Paul Smith, Joe Sykes, Dasha Litsitsina and Steve Ackerman. <laughs>